Well, thanks for being here today. We're going to dig into this 2 Corinthians passage here this morning. So we're continuing our series called The Resurrected Life. This is a series we began on Easter as we celebrated the resurrection, one of the best stories that we could ever hope to tell and be invited into. And we talked about that there's no need for Saturday anymore. As we look at this cross here, we remember... We remember the cost of our sins, we remember the sacrifice, but we also notice that it's empty, and we know that the grave is empty too, and hundreds of people saw Jesus very much alive after they saw him die. And so there's no need to live in Saturday, Saturday where we know our sins are paid for, we actually are invited to live in Sunday where in addition to our sins being paid for, there is abundant life that we get to live into as the body of Christ. So what characteristics do we look for in our lives and desire to grow into so that we can live that abundant life today? That's what this series is about. And then later at the end of May, we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about the resurrected church. We're going to go from more personal, individual characteristics of faith and we're going to say, what is a congregation or a local church community or a gathering of Christians? What is it about that local church that... uh, that invites it too as a community into this resurrected life? What does a church look like if it is living into that resurrected life? And so these sermon topics and scriptures, they're going to help us to better think in these terms as we discern where God is leading us. And I think that's very relevant too to our visioning conversation that you just heard about. So today we're talking about the new identity that God gives us when we come to know Jesus Christ. The new identity And I maybe have told this story before, but it perfectly illustrates what we're talking about, so I'm going to tell it again. Uh, I had a nickname in middle school. I had a nickname. Just a few of you in this room probably knew me back in those days. Uh, The nickname was Pody, P-O-D-Y, Pody. I was known as Pody. I think it was originated by a couple of uh, trumpet players in seventh grade band that sat behind me, and at least they took credit for it, so I assume that's kind of where it came from. And they called me Pody, and it stuck. My friends knew me as Pody, their parents knew me by that name, and my youth leaders at church knew me by that name. So um, if you were to access all of my different email accounts I've had over the years, I still have an active Hotmail account, I know, Hotmail, from 7th grade-ish, and you would see Pody as part of the URL for that email address. I won't say my whole email address, because I don't want any more spam than what I already get there after 20 years. All right. So, my friends knew me that way. That's who I was. I was Pody, right? This nickname worked well until it didn't. Sometimes you get sick of those childhood nicknames, right? Well, for me, that moment changed. Something changed. And something, particularly as we talk about our faith, something changed in my awareness of God and the intensity of my faith. That moment for me was when I worked at Riverside as a junior counselor for the first time in 2002. I grew a ton, and the faith that was spoken over me and encouraged in me all of my childhood and in church and at home, that faith became my own professing faith. Something shifted in me that summer, and I was no longer Pody. Or more accurately, I was no longer the person that anybody back home knew as Pody. I had changed. I invite you to spend 10 weeks at Riverside sometime. It will change your life. I joke sometimes that it took God 10 weeks of me at Riverside to really get to me. And it's true, but it was life-changing. So that identity, that name, no longer fit the person that Jesus had gotten a hold of that summer, right? And maybe you've had experiences in your faith where you've really just changed drastically or dramatically, and you look back and you say, I'm not that person anymore, I think that's the power of the resurrection working in us. And so I went back to school 
that fall, I still had one year of high school. I decided to graduate early at the semester, and I took Pody out and I buried him behind the shed. And there was no more Pody anymore. I was Andrew. I wanted to be known as Andrew because the Pody that they were talking about no longer existed. This is the power of the resurrection, friends. This is the power of Jesus Christ changing us. This is the power of Jesus Christ when we know him and his love and grace and mercy. It is the life-changing realization that God created us, he knows us, he forgives us, and he actually has a life and a plan for us to live into. And that plan is not to live on Saturday. It's not to live in the darkness and the sadness, although we're in a world that still has that. It's to live on Sunday in the power of the resurrection. And we get to be people of the resurrection. Our identity in the risen Christ is to be risen people of God who get to experience and taste abundant life even now in this world. And so I say all that to prepare us for our 2 Corinthians passage. We're going to go back a little earlier in that passage and kind of work through the majority of that chapter 5 here this morning. And so because we're going to be going kind of verse by verse, I invite you to grab a pew Bible or if you brought a Bible along, turn to 2 Corinthians 5. And if you're in your pew Bible, the blue one's there. It's page 1,798. All right, I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. So Paul's talking about our human existence, our bodies. If that is destroyed, we have something else. Here, our identity, this speaks to our identity, right? Our identity in the resurrected life is that we are eternal people with an eternal house in heaven. That means that at our core, in Christ, our identity is completely outside of the hands of the world to determine, and it's entirely in the hands of God. May this give you comfort today, as many of us have spent years and many seasons of our lives trying to become what somebody else or some other ideology has asked us to be, rather than what God has called us to be. Verse 2, meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. So these verses speak to this sort of healthy discontent, right? We have a healthy discontent with this world and the way the world operates and our state in this world. This doesn't mean that we are less than here. It doesn't mean we are less than children of God. And it doesn't mean that we have a limited purpose or that we have a limited experience of godly things. But what it does mean is that we as resurrected people, we embrace God's future promises and eternity for us as something infinitely better than life in a world that is still marred and broken by sin. We are no longer content with the things of this world. I look around the world, I am not content with the state of this world, and I hope that you aren't either. We are no longer content with the things of this earth, but we have a yearning and a desire for God's perfect new creation as we become new creations in the process. So again, this isn't just a far-off reality when Jesus returns. This is something that God starts to do in us from the day that the Holy Spirit touches us and impacts our lives. Verse 5. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us this spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. 
So God is the fashioner. God is the maker. God has made us for this very purpose to become new creations and to take on this resurrection identity. The Holy Spirit guarantees this eternal future for us. Guarantees it. It's part of our identity. When we know Jesus Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. That should give you great comfort. That's a guarantee. If you know you have the Holy Spirit, you're good, right? Which is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about talking about the Holy Spirit and preaching on the Holy Spirit and reading the scriptures about the Holy Spirit and Pentecost because the Holy Spirit not only guarantees you for this resurrected life, it starts to do that resurrected life in you right now and as you live and as you continue in life. And the Holy Spirit wants to guide us and direct us into this abundant life. Continuing with verse 6, Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So this passage speaks to this tension that we have. We want the new and eternal, but we're not there yet. This is the two-kingdom theology that we've taught on occasionally. The kingdom of God has been established here on earth, but not fully realized. And there's this overlap with the kingdom of sin and darkness, and we're in that in-between time. We're in the tension. And Paul writes here that we are confident. We are confident in God's promises to us and his identity spoken over us. We're confident. We don't need to live timidly. We don't need to live unsure of God's power and God's ability to fill his promises. We can actually live with the confidence that God has it taken care of as he has taken care of us. And so our lives that we live are aimed to please our Heavenly Father, whether in the body or out of it, Paul says. We aim to please our Father. We are called to live by faith and not by sight. We are called to put more stock in the things that we don't see in the promises of God than the things that we see and can touch and can do business with here in this world. And he says, for we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ one day. Moving on, the next section in your pew Bible, and in most Bibles, is titled The Ministry of Reconciliation. So we're going to pick up at 13 and skip a couple verses there. So verse 13, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. This is a good one. How many of you have ever been told that you are out of your mind because of your faith in God or your adherence to the life of Jesus and his teachings? It's happened to me before. Have you ever been called out of your mind? This is certainly one of the common accusations against Christian belief and convictions today, and that's okay. It is better to be seen as out of our minds because we love Jesus and want to love other people than it is to be seen as normal in the eyes of the world. I don't want to be normal in the eyes of the world. And if we are in our right minds, Paul states, it is because of and for those that we minister to, that we are called to reach on behalf of the gospel as we seek to connect and build bridges to others inside and outside of God's family. So it's okay to be seen by the world as out of our minds 
And it's okay to be in our right mind as we build bridges to those who God loves and wants to know the gospel truth as well. Verse 14 says that Christ's love compels us. And this is kind of where we get into that vision conversation. We are not compelled in Christ by the fear of death. We are not compelled by the punishment of the cross. We're not compelled by that. We're not compelled by avoiding what is negative. Rather, we are compelled by the most positive thing that will ever be in front of us, and that is the love of Jesus Christ and an invitation to know him. Think of it this way. Would you rather be on a beach being chased by a grizzly bear? Anybody think that sounds really good? I've been watching through some of the seasons of the show alone where they drop people in the wilderness and they see how long they can last, right? Uh, One of the ones I watched had a lot of grizzly bears and somebody was chased a little bit by a grizzly bear. That is being compelled by fear, right? If there's a bear behind you, you just, you go. You're you're afraid, you want to get away from it. And so that's why you go in the direction that you go. But what if, let's say you'd been waiting your whole life to go to the ocean, and as you pulled up your car to that parking lot on the beach, you looked out to that water, and you said, man, I want to experience that, and you run. And you run to that water, and you put your feet in it, and you say, wow, this is beautiful, this is amazing. That's what we're talking about here, right? We don't want to be a church that is, or a people that is compelled by fear chasing us somewhere. We want to see the loving, incredibly grace-filled reality of God set before us, and we want to run after it. We want to run after it. We are drawn forward in Christ and into our vision as a church because Christ's love is so appealing and good that we cannot help but chase after it. And Christ's death for us and for all causes us to live not for everybody else, but for him. For his love, for his purposes, for his plan and his identity for us. Verse 16, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. In other words, the worldly system and the worldly lens and the worldly way of doing things is of no more use to us in the resurrected life. We don't need that way, that way of processing and living anymore. Our identity in Christ is in God's systems, in God's processes, in God's lens and truth and reality, and that is what governs us now. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So in Christ, we are a new creation. We're not a fully realized, fully formed new creation until Jesus comes back, but we are a new creation. We take on a new identity defined by God and not by our sin, defined by God and not by the world around us. We take on a new identity as people of the resurrection having been reconciled and restored to relationship with God. And we share in that mission that others might also be reconciled to God and understand his loving grace and forgiveness for themselves. Verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
So our identity in Christ, as people of the resurrection, part of our identity is that we are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. And Paul writes, as if God was making his appeal to the world through us. Because guess what? He is. He's entrusted us with that message of reconciliation we just read before. We are the ambassadors of Christ as the church. That is our call, that is our mission, that is part of our identity in the body of Christ. God sent his only son to take on our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. We might become people who embody all that is attractive and good and holy in God's kingdom so that people may want to experience that for themselves too. We are the restored people. We are the reconciled people. We are the resurrected people. This is who we are in Christ Jesus. This is who we are as we take on the mantle of the resurrection and live into that life that God has for us. This identity is for today. This love is for today. It's not for some future time to sit around and wait for Jesus to return while we sit apathetically waiting. It is for today. We are called as ambassadors for Christ today to take on the mission today, period. And so how can we summarize then? If 2 Corinthians is our truth today, if this is what we're drawing from, what is our identity in the resurrection? I would put it this way. You are a restored, reconciled, resurrected child of God who is called to be an ambassador for Christ himself. You are a restored, reconciled, resurrected child of God who is called to be an ambassador for Christ himself. This is what it means to say, I'm a Christian and mean it. This is what it means to follow Jesus, to become more like Jesus. So this identity, is this one, is this one that you can embrace? Is this one that you want to live into? Let me ask you this, have you embraced this identity for your life? Not just part of your life, not just Sunday mornings. Have you embraced this identity for your life? This thing that God speaks over you, this truth that God wants to invite you into? Or are you indifferent towards it? There's nothing indifferent about the resurrection. It's probably the least indifferent thing ever that Jesus did not stay dead. And there's nothing indifferent about Jesus' love for you or his call on your life to follow him. There's nothing passive or apathetic about God's love for you. So is this something that you can embrace? Is this something you want to embrace? Is this something you want to want to embrace? Because we've been there too. Or maybe are you running from this identity? Are you running from the truth that God speaks over you? Because I think we've all had seasons in our lives where that maybe has been the case. I know it's true for me. Are you running from this identity? Knowing that it's going to change your life, but fearing that this change might be too disruptive or scary. I think we've been there before. If you're indifferent towards it, if you're running from it, or if you've embraced it, I want you to know, friends, there's nothing but God's love and grace for you here this morning. Because God isn't going to chase after you with fear to get you to do what he wants, but he's going to put this beautiful, incredible reality in front of you so that you would desire to chase after it. The one who is resurrected invites you to be resurrected with him. The one who is good invites you into him to experience his goodness. The one who is forever 
and ever. Amen. Invites you to know and experience his love forever. This is our eternal reality. So I encourage you today, take on this identity that comes with a resurrected life. And together, let's live accordingly. Let's let it change how we do life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the words that you speak to us, over us, in us, and through us, through the power of your scriptures and your truth. Today, Lord, may we live under this identity that you give us. When we know the power of Jesus Christ, when we accept that grace and forgiveness for our sins through the cross, and when we realize that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive and has promised to return, I pray that these realities, Lord, would lead us into this identity, being restored, reconciled, resurrected children of God. And Lord, would you help us to work out, because it takes some working out, help us to work out what it means, Lord, for us to be ambassadors to Christ, to each other, to our families, and in this community that we live in, Lord. Knowing that a certain amount of the authority and the power that um, you bestowed on Jesus, Jesus then bestowed on us his body, so that we may represent God to the ends of the earth. Help us to do this well, Lord. Help us to grow in our understanding and our excitement, and help us to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to live into this identity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.